Hi, I'm Jenny Doty from the Lenexa Farmers Market. I started it in 2018 and I'm supposed to answer, what is food? Well, food to me is a way to share with our community, our loved ones, and even our neighbors. Welcome to Language and Culture with Dr. J. I am Dr. J. We are now in season three of this podcast. Thank you for tuning in. The podcast is absolutely nonprofit and independent of advertisers. I conduct the podcast as a part of Kulturreum. Please check out the website, kulturreum.com. That's C-U-L-T-U-R-E-U-M.com for all of my activities, including my books. Or follow me on my Instagram account at drjpodcast or at quadil. That's Q-U-A-D-Y-L-L-E. Today's episode is entitled, Food. More than any other aspect of our lives, food has to be the most important, next to water, I guess. In Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it is our most basic need, the need for sustenance. Our consumption of food is anchored in our community, in our social and cultural life, It is associated and directly linked with religious life. Food and food consumption can foster relationships and even out political and ideological differences, but it can also be associated with symbols of power and wealth, with status or an expression of individuality. Food plays an incredibly important role in sociology. We can speak of the sociology of food and reflect back on the historical development of food consumption, on the implications of food in society today, the role food plays in our health, way of life, and how food absolutely molds the futures we are going to experience. To speak to me today about food is Jennifer Doty. Jennifer is a horticultural therapist who has been working for the city of Lenexa for 14 years. She manages three community gardens for the city with more than 60 families participating. In 2018, she started the Lenexa Farmers Market. She is a sixth-generation descendant of Folga German immigrants to Western Kansas and comes from a long line of farmers. Welcome, Jennifer, to this episode. Thank you. Thank you very much. It is such a pleasure to speak to you. I think that this is so important and so significant that we have this interview in the United States, in the Midwest, and that we can show the world, all the listeners, what actually food can mean also here and how much people actually care about it here. Not everybody, but a large fraction of of people. So let's start with having you introduce yourself a little bit, what you studied, why, your family background, and then we'll delve into all the wonderful programs that you've started. Yes, so um, I was born and raised in Kansas, so grew up in the Wichita area, went to K-State University, studied horticultural therapy there. So that is really connecting people to plants. Let me interrupt you just real quick. Yeah. Um, horticultural therapy, I have never heard of, yeah. uh, of that before coming to this interview. So you say it's connecting people to plants, but how is it therapeutic? Is, is it sort of through that achieving some sort of balance? Or maybe you could go into that already. I think it's super interesting. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, so there's a lot of research actually done that when uh, when you're a hospital patient in the hospital, and if you have a view that's of the sky and the greenery and plants, or if you even have a plant in your room, um, you take less medications. Um, so if you're connected to the earth in some way and to, to nature, in that sense, that you will you will need less to be taken care of. Um, it's so important to be connected to to our outside world. Um, especially as we're, uh, get older. Uh, I worked with in an Alzheimer's facility and we had a greenhouse and we had regular sessions where we gardened with the residents and it was some of the only times that they would talk. They all, most of them had dementia, but they would talk and chat because it brought back so many memories especially for those that gardened or lived on the farm. Mm -hmm. Okay, wonderful. So it's not just consumption of food, but mm -hmm. actually our relationship to nature. And that, I mean, I, I have so much to ask you, so I think we're going to just kind of just dive right into it, and then I'll let you keep introducing yeah. yourself. But, you know, driving here, for example, I'm so surprised by people walking at, okay, at least in rec centers or malls or um, inside the nature around us is breathtaking. The trees have every single color imaginable. It is absolutely idyllic. Um, it's sunny. It is. It is so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Why don't people go outside? It's. It's. You know what? Um, I. I think uh, we live at least in the Lenexa community that I work in. We have a lot of parks and trails. And they get highly used. Um, if you build it, they will come. And so we've built a significant amount of that. We also do have our indoor facility. But if you notice in our indoor facility, the track is open all the way around for you to look out. And I think that was done pretty much so by design because nobody really likes to be walking inside of a building over and over again. Um, and what's really great about our facility is you look out over a golf course that you see the changing of the seasons. And many times I get to see a coyote. Um, I, saw, I watched a coyote catch its prey um, on the golf course when nobody's golfing in the middle of the winter and there's snow and a coyote pounces. So, and all of the people stop on the track and are watching this. So um, we're really blessed to have that. Um, amazing facility there that really thought about bringing the outdoors in but this morning it was gorgeous you're right as I was driving and the sun was just rising and it was shining straight across on those leaves and I just thought oh my gosh thank you so much for I was a little late to work to be honest <laughs> and I was like if I would have been early I wouldn't have seen all the colors um, because you drive a little higher on the highways and you get to see the, the vista of all the colors. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the yellows, oranges, reds, greens, and browns, they're just gorgeous right now. Well, to, to the indoor facilities, uh, you know that I go swimming with my children. Uh, my children are in a different room right now yeah. as, we, as we record. Um, I swam about, I think last week, I swam to the sunset so yeah, also like the gorgeous. swimming pool has this glass window. It's it's open to the outside, and you and you have nature around it. You have a fountain. You have woods. You have fields. Mm -hmm. You have a lake. It's 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 gorgeous. It's a little jewel box. It is. There. And I really I was swimming. I thought, oh, this can't be. This is like a five star mm -hmm. resort. The sun was setting, and I was just like doing my laps to the sunset. Yeah. I mean, it was it was absolutely. Beautiful. It is. It was well designed to give the community those beautiful vistas. Um, and for them to enjoy, enjoy nature, even though they're not out in it. And I think it gives a lot. Of, we have so many seniors that come over and walk, and I think it's because they, they love 
to feel like they're kind of in nature if they can't withstand the heat or the cold. So it, it's definitely a wonderful place, and we're really lucky to have it. So that's I'm glad you addressed that because that is one issue in Kansas. I mean, the, we have four seasons here, and that's great. But you have hard winters and hard summers, mm-hmm. and and certainly for that, for especially people who can't uh, take the 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 extreme temperatures anymore, it it offers a way for them to still be in nature without having to um, be exposed to the elements. So yeah, definitely. Well, the humidity, our humidity is something to be reckoned with. You know, they have the heat in the Southwest of, of America, but it's, it's a dry, dry heat <laughs> and people are like, Oh my gosh, I can't breathe when I come to Kansas. So um, yeah, it, a lot of people do like to use it during those really humid and hot months too. Okay, so I interrupted you, so please go ahead and, and keep introducing yourself. And yeah, so um, I started working for the city, and my title is actually Recreation Supervisor. So I do manage multiple programs, and, and my area of focus is nat- naturalist, so um, connecting people with nature still. And the um, community gardens is one of the programs that I picked up right away, um, and there was originally 12 plots and we've expanded it to more than 60 families that participate in three different gardens and three different parks. So explain that to everybody. What, what does that mean exactly? So what it means is that Lenexa residents are able to rent a plot um, and there are different sizes depending on um, how much they need, how well they garden, and just kind of their comfortability of how much time they have to put towards the effort. We provide the land. We, t- we actually till it. Um, they provide the seeds, they provide the labor, um, we have water there for them to use, and whatever they grow, they can pick. And I had a gardener talking to me yesterday, she was canning her jelly, and I could hear her banging around in the kitchen, and she sent me some pictures of tomatoes, all the, I think 100 pounds of tomatoes that she pulled off that were green still. But she'll have tomatoes clear till past Christmas. So why wouldn't these people be gardening in their own backyards so we do in in a lot of our neighborhoods it's fully wooded and so they don't get the full sun Um, and then we also have apartments Um, and so those that are in apartments or townhomes that maybe don't have the actual ground space um, they come we've had quite a few of those more recently come and want a garden plot so and some of them just really for the community of doing it together and with a group of people they really learn from each other. We have some master gardeners who are more of our experts in our community on um, gardening. And so then they kind of take the lead sometimes and help bring people under their wings. And um, really, a lot of times I talk to people about how far away we are generationally from the farm. Most of us, our roots, someone in our family was in agriculture living on this earth, but when was, when was the last time someone in your family was an all-out farmer? Um, and, and then when was and then from there, when was the last time someone actually had a vegetable garden? And for some people, it's three to four generations. And so I do a lot of, t- I spend a lot of time um, between me, master gardeners, and other gardeners helping to teach these people and bring them on board because they don't even know how to start a seed. Um, so it, it really is a fun experience and to see them grow, literally grow things for the first time in their life. And they may be 50 years old, um, but they've never really had that experience of growing something. And they, COVID really pushed people to kind of start digging into some of those. And my waiting list got long and we have a lot of interested people. So, 
Um, it's a lot of fun for them. That's really great. And I think it's, uh, you know, we have, we have, I have listeners all over the world. So I think that this will be very uh, interesting for European listeners and for the American listeners. I have to offer the European perspective. This type of thing is, for example, in Germany, it's called Kleingartenverein. Mm -hmm. So it's small garden clubs. Yeah. And these, and these exist everywhere. So there is pretty much uh, outside of every neighborhood, there are these little plots of land and depending on the size, I mean, it's exactly sort of what you're describing. And people use it or in the Berlin area, for example, they call it dachas. Mm-hmm. little tiny little huts that people have and so people use it to get away from the city people use it if they live in an apartment to still be in nature on the weekends and they have a little hut that they sort of take care of paint you know have mm-hmm. a have a tree or whatever uh, but most people use it to have flowers and vegetables especially vegetables but it surprises me your question how many generations back uh, have you know well mm-hmm. I have a little vegetable garden with the kids every mm-hmm. little every single summer. We're not good gardeners, I will tell you that. We, <laughs> we don't have a green thumb, but we grow tomatoes, we grow peppers, we grow onions, potatoes, zucchini, squash, yeah. cucumbers. I mean, and radishes with more or less success each mm-hmm. year. And oh, yeah. one of the things um, before the interview, we were talking about how you listened to the to the episode with um, Sebastian Junga, who has mm-hmm. also a restaurant, an organic um, and local a restaurant with local products in Hamburg, and I totally support him. And one of the things he said in his interview was that it's important to see if your kohlrabi didn't grow because it's important to see how much work goes into it or it's important oh, yeah. to see that, that that conditions were not favorable for it this this uh, this year and then when you do taste a really good piece of kohlrabi or, or what, any vegetable how you know savory and delicious it really is and so that's one of the things you know that I try to teach the kids is that it, it doesn't necessarily matter I mean to this year for example our radishes were just really like we couldn't really eat them and they were so small Mm -hmm. but then you 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 see that as well or for example i think we had red cabbage at one point and they got attacked by bugs so so you see also these elements and and what 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 happens with that but my parents have a really extensive vegetable garden so Mm -hmm. They have. They and have they're right here in Lincoln. They're right here yeah. in in Leewood, so mm-hmm. they're not far away from the Nexa. And they, I mean, they have green beans. They, ha- I mean, they really have an extended yeah. raspberries, strawberries. They have a really wow. huge vegetable garden. But they're Hungarian, uh-huh. so they're Hungarian American. But they're first gen. I mean, I'm first generation American. My parents immigrated when I was twelve. Mm-hmm. So, how much of that do you think is cultural? Do you think that particularly Americans have gotten away from this farming, from the closeness to the to to the vegetables and the earth, or do you think it's um, do you think it's a Midwest thing, or do you think it's... You know, I think that um, a lot of it just has to do with whether they have time. If if you're moving into the city from, from the farm, and some generation has to make that leap. For me, um, at least for the, the most recent family member, that was my grandma. And she really hated being a farmer. She hated milking cows. She was on a cow farm. And hated it, hated it, despised it. Um, and she was ready to move into the city and have someone else grow and produce her food. Um, so, you know, I think that I think she has a wonderful respect for how much it takes. And my grandpa always grows his tomatoes, um, and they have have some things growing. But 
um, I think that it's, it really comes down to the amount of time you have because it takes a lot of time. A lot of my gardeners will come and they think they're going to do great and they're so excited. But then they realize that it takes a good two to four hours every week extra and in, in a society where we don't have a ton of time, you have to really dedicate the time to do it. And my best gardeners, they really dedicate the time to do it. And they, they, they save a lot of money dedicating that time to do it. It's a part of how they, they do save money for their mm -hmm. family. Mm -hmm. But, um, and I think that it's important. A lot of them will come on that have young families that want to start passing that tradition along and teaching others to do it. And they don't necessarily know how to teach their kids. So, a community garden provides that space for them to learn from others and watch others. Because I think farming and gardening are all a big experiment every season. We do not know what nature is going to throw at us. And so, like you said, the kohlrabi might be good one year, your radishes might be good one year, but the next it's just horrible. But then you start, start asking the questions, why, why is this, why is this happening? And I, I believe that it makes us respect all of the food that's in the grocery stores even more. Every single, usually every single one of my gardeners say, oh my gosh, I never have appreciated tomatoes more mm. in my life mm. than what, um, after trying to grow them. Cause mm. it's not easy. Mm. It's, it's definitely a labor of love. Mm. And I think that you addressed two really important points. One is sort of the lack of time in the U S I remember, you know, it's, it's been actually, I, I, I just recently realized that it's been 20 years that I've actually lived in the U S but one of the things that I remember from early on when I moved back to Europe was how much more time I had. I mean, granted, I was still at the beginning of my career and, and it was different, you know, before you have kids and all that. Yeah. But I think the tempo, the rhythm in the U.S. is really intense. I mean, in Europe, you have these 39-hour work weeks. In certain parts of Europe, 35-hour work weeks. Um, and you're not expected to do anything so above that ever? Well, I don't think that's fair to say either. I mean, you know, for example, I, my yeah, husband, I'm just trying to my husband, my husband is a physician. He yeah. often works overtime. But in general, there is a lot more employee protection and a lot more employee rights. And sort of there's a lot more focus also on the private life. And I would hazard to say this, that I think in Europe you have a little bit more time, more free time, more time for things like gardening or cooking or things like that. Mm -hmm. um, there's another, I used to teach um, medical students. One of the things that I told uh, medical students, we looked at, for example, the use of antibiotics in the U.S. and, um, and medication in general. And one of the reasons for that is simply that people do not have paid sick leave. They do not have paid maternity leave. So, so you cannot afford to be out for two weeks with a cold. And this does not exist in Europe. I mean, there, there are so many um, labor laws that protect the, the employee. In fact, that is something that's been sort of the use of antibiotics has been something that really has been really interesting for me because, you know, I'm kind of in the middle. I think in the U.S. we, we prescribe it too fast. In Germany, I think they, they just won't they just won't give it to you unless you're sort of really you've suffered for three weeks and then maybe. Oh so, so we've had this with kids, for example, with with various, uh, you know, infections and uh, where I'm like, OK, why aren't we not giving an antibiotic? Well, let the body take care of it. So hmm. so and I think that it. it 
everything always ties into into it's it's never sort of one decision. You know, are we going to farm and make our own food? Are we going to spend? I think it's always kind of tied in, and then there's like different uh, circles and different connections. And certainly, the lack of time, I think, in the U.S., the fast-paced life is is leads to eating out more, fast food, not growing mm-hmm. your own vegetables and things like that. The other point that you addressed that I think is is super interesting is um, how your mother didn't want to be a farmer. It's difficult to be a farmer, and I don't know. I don't think it's everybody's calling, and certainly I don't think you're suggesting that everybody go out and sort of become a farmer. No. Certainly, I have to. Su- I mean, everybody has to supplement their food consumption and then their and purchases from farms or, or or external sources other than the the backyard right yeah. um, but this this small farming this this experience this connection what you were saying with with plants with nature with food is just I think so significant yeah I think the appreciation the other thing that takes time for the for people that don't have the generational farming is just learning alone I sit down and, and talk them into only growing five things I'm like what are the five things that you love to eat because if you love to eat it, it's not going to go to waste in the garden. Don't do 20 things just because you can get the seeds or the plants. Do the top five vegetables. If you like potatoes, tomatoes, onions, and carrots, let's do those and um, feel successful at that and then add a, add a vegetable each time. Because when you really open up those books and there's like five varieties of everything and this needs this and this needs that. And so uh, we really focus in on don't overwhelm yourself because you really can can go down that path. And it can happen even with some of our farmers where they're like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have done this crop. It was so much more labor intensive. Or I've had those conversations even with the experts. I consider my farmers the experts. And, you know, and they have bad years. You know, we had a whole bunch of pumpkins taken out for a farmer this year. But we rely, he, he was able to rely on a neighbor um, to supply the pumpkins that he lost. And he still had a few of the other pumpkins. But um, there's a great community of farmers in this area that help take care of each other. Mm-hmm. So would you mind going into a little bit of your, your background that you have this six generations of farmers and uh, of German, uh, yeah. of German <laughs> origin? Would you mind going into that a little bit and, and telling our listeners uh, a little more details about that and, and how, how this cultural background affected maybe your choice of, of an occupation and your choice in, in these choices in life. Yeah, so. it's it's really interesting. I'm really a genealogy. I love the genealogy. My, my, my grandmother um, did too, and, and she always shared it with me. But um, I um, come from my, my sixth great grandfather helped um, establish a town in western Kansas, Ellis County, Kansas, called Munger. Um, and there were five men sent from they were in Russia at the time. They had moved from Germany to Russia, and then they decided they needed to leave Russia. So they're called Volga Germans, and five men were sent out as scouts, I believe in 1874. And um, they came to Kansas, and they said, this is a wonderful place. And so they brought back, each one of those five men started five cities, I believe, and brought back all these people with them. Um, and started these new Volga German communities. It's where Hayes, Kansas is, is kind of one of the bigger communities. Um, for those that are Catholic, there's the um, Cathedral of the Plains in Victoria, Kansas, is pretty well known. So always something fun to look up. But um, so they had farms. My grandma was born 
um, there in Munger, Kansas, on the farm. Um, and then she moved back to Waverly, Kansas, or Melbourne area with her family, her, her father. Um, and then actually my, my grandfather on that same side, his mom had a huge garden. And as probably even a five-year-old, I remember um, being out in the garden with her a lot, being told, stay away from the poison ivy because it always grew in her garden. <laughs> and she had this amazing root cellar with huge old jars. And we have a picture of it, beautiful jars, all filled in her and her root cellar um, there in Waverly, Kansas. And so I think that I was just always, I and I remember being in the garden, my parents, because my parents were taught gardening from their grandparents and their parents. So my parents always had a really big garden and they have a really beautiful vegetable garden um, to this day. And so I was always, I was, my dad would pull onions out of the ground, rinse it off with the hose, bite off the end and then hand it to me. And <laughs> I eat the whole onion. Um, and people are like, you ate it like an apple. I'm like, yeah, it's delicious. Oh, there's nothing better than, so, yeah. I don't know about, I don't know what kind of, but this, red onions, yeah. oh, these fresh red onions, oh, there's nothing yeah. better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I, I really, um, I grew up around it and I was going to school to, I went to K-State to be an architect and I got, I got called into doing the agriculture thing. You know, architect, I know I could have done well, but I don't feel like I would have had the connection to people and to the earth like that I that I want. And I feel like this this job and this work, um, working with farmers, working and teaching people how to grow their own food is a calling. It really is. And um, it's very enjoyable to do. But, you know, Peter Liker was, was quite the, the man to come over here with, with those five other men. And there's actually a picture um, if, on the web. Uh, no, if, you, if you search it on the website, you can see him and the five other men in this portrait that they created as they sent them out. So, you know, you think about it as like a Lewis and Clark adventure to find a place for this community to land. It's, 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 it's so. so exciting. It's really yeah, it's it's really neat to um, to think back and see how it kind of moved. Now, my grandma told, always told me that she the reason why she really didn't like farming was she would have to go out and milk the cows, and she couldn't take a shower between milking the cows in the morning and going to school. And if you can think about uh, the smell, yeah. and so it couldn't have been easy. And yeah. um, you know, it's not easy to be a teenager ever, but then to be the dairy farmer, and she had a, a lot of siblings. Um, so there were a lot of them, but still, um, she's like, I'm never going to make my family be a dairy farmer. And yeah. so, um, I know hopefully she doesn't mind me telling that story, oh, but no. and she, I think everybody uh, will understand. I think yeah, it's, it's it, it was definitely, she wanted to be clean and, um, she's very prim and proper and likes things to be neat and tidy. Um, so that was not the work she wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So. So let's go into your work a little bit. You started in 2018. You started the Lenexa Farmer's Market. Mm -hmm. um, I know there have been farmer's markets in the area. I know my parents go to them. I always used to go to them. I know that on our travels uh, through the United States, we did a four-month um, maternal and paternal leave, so parental leave when our smallest one was born. Uh, and I, <laughs> we, we, were in, we were camping through the South and we were just hitting town after town with Pizza Huts and McDonald's oh, yeah. and all the chains. And um, 
Walmarts. And, you know, as much as I appreciate these stores, I, you know, sort of when I'm in Europe, I miss them. You know, I miss Taco Bell in Europe. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I do. I totally the American do. way. Oh, yeah, yeah I totally do. Um, and Kentucky Fried Chicken, I hunted down. Oh, so, that's so yeah, so, but, um, you know, when, when that's all you have, it's just, I was just, um, we, we, we were longing for something fresh. And so my husband got an app for the farmer's markets mm -hmm. and we were going to, to farmer's markets to do the shopping. Mm -hmm. But you started the next farmer's market in mm -hmm. 2018. And this time around, when we came back here to the area, it's, I think I had, I don't know, the first 15 people, I think 10 of them mentioned the Lenexa Farmer's Market. Really? Yes. Oh, that's so, that and makes how my heart happy. But it's really true. And coming to this area mm -hmm. now, for the, we just came here for the swimming. This is brilliant. It yeah. is so beautiful. Even now with the fires burning outside, mm -hmm. the spaces for people to, play, to play soccer, the, the view, the, the exercising, the library. We're sitting right now at the library. The facilities, I mean, it's... It's. I mean, my look at my children. They're totally happy reading. Yeah. There. Um, so so. But tell us about the farmers market and and with, with a congratulations yeah. from everyone already. Well, ahead of time. I would be remiss if I didn't tell you. You know, all of this came because of a vision and a vision of our leaders. Um, they did a vision twenty twenty and um, of this space and it was became the city center and it really was a place where everybody wanted to gather. And obviously you're coming even from Leewood, wanting to gather here with us. Um, and it really has become that and the farmer's market, just a portion of that, but it really makes, we just got a survey back and it says, the market is the th one thing that really makes the campus come to life on a Saturday. Um, and so it, it, it really has been a lot of fun. Since starting here, they, they asked me to work on a market but then it was like the number, it was one of the top things in our survey, in our um, Parks and Recreation survey, what amenities would you like? And Farmer's Market was close to the top. And so they said that has to be a part of the city center campus. And so maybe put maybe, that in. Maybe go into what a farmer's market is. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think American listeners will, will absolutely know it. But, right, because, you know, we have, let me just always compare yeah. it to Germany. But, I mean, you know, if you go to Romania or Hungary, there's the Piotz, you know, which is just the market, which is just there. You just go there. Um, we have Wochenmarkt in, in Germany. So it's like uh, once a week um, um, you, you have different Wochenmarkt, different markets um, um, in different areas of the city. But um, Which is probably closer to us, maybe. Yeah. Yes, yes, but these markets are everywhere, and sort mm -hmm. of these in the also these independent smaller markets. For example, in Germany, there are a lot of Turkish markets that go to the big markets in the morning at five in the morning, and then they sort of bring it from from in Hamburg, okay. you know, at the big uh, Halle in the in the big market where you have flowers and fish and and everything every every morning, um, and then they distribute it to their smaller shops. So. Absolutely, a lot of people shop in grocery stores and bigger grocery stores, which, by the way, also carry a lot of local products and it's mm -hmm. marked, you know, regional products oh, yeah. and things like that. So that there's a lot of uh, uh, emphasis placed on that. But this idea of a market is not as rare as in the U.S. Sort of, it's 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 really the norm. It's it's everywhere. These mm -hmm. these in France as well. You know, there there are these markets everywhere. So maybe explain a little bit the the concept of a farmer's market because it is special here yeah so we have a market two times a week during the summer and then um so tuesdays and saturdays on uh, once we get into the 
early spring and then the fall we just do Saturdays. Um, but what it is is we have vendors that come within 250 miles of the market or the state of Kansas to the market to sell products that they create, whether they've grown them, whether they've baked them, whether they raise the cows or, um, well, they're not selling cows, but they're selling the beef and um, products from, from the cow. But they have to have created it themselves. We do allow them to resell stuff from maybe a neighbor. So like I was saying, that, that one vendor that had crop failure of the pumpkins. And they're like, we don't have any pumpkins. And we had no other vendors bringing pumpkins. Well, yeah, we would rather come from your neighbor. When neighboring farmers, it's very probably similar to anywhere in Europe. Farmers five miles from each other, they're, they're friends. You know, it doesn't take much because there's no one around. You know, there's maybe 30 of you in that five-mile radius. So maybe a little bit more in America or around our area just because of. People. There, I'm thinking in Hamburg, there's Vierländer, which is just right outside of Hamburg. And that's a farming community and all the sort of mm -hmm. vegetables typically come from there. And But but to all sides, you know, they're, they're actually, I mean, I, I love that about Hamburg. And I, I always praise Hamburg. I, I, I truly mm -hmm. love Hamburg as a city. Um, it has, you know, two seas nearby. It has the river. It has great parks and, and lakes and, and uh, woods. And, and it has several farming communities. So That sounds wonderful. Yeah, so we also, ha we have vendors that, we have one particular vendor, he makes, you know, Kansas City, you can't get away from barbecue. Um, so Daniel's Barbecue Sauce, he is an amazing um, person in the way that he really wants to build up um, producers and help people grow their business. And what's really great about the market is I get to see vendors that came from nothing and didn't have a business and then by the end of the year they're taking off like they actually are building a shop that's still coming to the market um but daniel actually helps other vendors that are have a locally made product he brings it to market so they don't spend their saturday or tuesday but he helps them sell their products that are all locally made um, and we have them all in one booth kind of like a, a mini grocery store for all of your shelf stable products so um, it, it's a really great place to, to get a taste of Kansas City um, and also a taste of all sorts of different cultures because there's people from different cultures that make products that he sells too. The most important thing to our customers is that they get local products and that they're quality um, and their variety. Mm -hmm. Those are the three important things to our customers in our surveys that we just got back. And again, to the listeners who are not from the area, so um, so the Kansas City area has the Twin Cities, Kansas City, Missouri, and Kansas City, Kansas. Mm -hmm. And then it has all these, which I guess in Europe you would call suburbs, but it's not necessarily the suburban feeling. They are, in a way, individual little uh, uh, towns. And I would, for the German listeners, I would really compare it to the neighborhoods. I mean, there is, for example, in Hamburg, um, there is the Bannermarkt and the Zaslermarkt, and there's these these neighborhoods and that's what I would compare Lenexa okay. and Olathe and Overland Park and Leewood I would yeah. compare it more to that and they're very close like they you, are, a lot of times yeah, you don't realize that you're going from one city to the next exactly people come and they like, want to be in our community garden but they, they realize that they actually live in Shawnee things like that so a lot a it's lot not of, divided there's no yeah, border or there anything. is no border so. and then um, we have a lot of people that come from especially Shawnee and Olathe that use a lot of our services because we have a we have a bigger market 
Um, and our rec center, uh, we have a lot of people that come to Sha from Shawnee to come to our rec center because they, they enjoy the facility um, and it's an ease of use. Mm -hmm. so. I've really focused on what I believe our customers want to make the best growth. And my goal is to always make sure that a vendor or a customer, if you buy something in our market that you truly know that it came from our from the area, we do vendor visits. We go out and visit the farms. We make sure that you're baking in the kitchen that you have licensed with. Um, and so we do a lot of those checks that you as a consumer are not able to do. You know, if you're spending your money at a market and it's a little bit more of a pricier item, you want to make sure that it's not being made um, at some really large bakery and they're just coming and selling it to you. You want to make sure it's handmade or at a high quality. So mm -hmm. um, we, we definitely do those checks to make sure that's the case. So since you addressed that, let's let's go into that uh, topic for, for a second, and then we'll go into all the different groups that are represented, mm -hmm. also um, immigrants and refugees and, and uh, other farmers that are represented also at, at the farmer's market. But to how important is it to you? So you were saying that these are these are locally grown products. How important, or what? which is more important, locally grown or organic? This has been a sort of a debate. And, and to what extent is each important? And where are you willing to, to uh, look the other way? Um, I'm thinking of uh, an organic farm that I've used, um, and I still absolutely support them. But I found out that they import their ginger from China. And for me, that was just something that just didn't really fit with my with what I was trying to support I was trying to support local business and I, I but I but I but I struggle with the question because I I do like my ginger yeah. <laughs> and where are you going to get it from so that's sort of one one that I've always really like yeah. like like struggled with and and I know that I stopped using this particular farm because of that um because I feel that they're if you're going to be organic, and it, I, I feel there there should be an alternative, um, it, not just organic, but local. Um, so, so the question to you: Which is more important, organic or local? Oh, or, is... And then, to what extent, and where 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 do the two cross? And <laughs> this is where people get into a lot of arguments. But um, so now we're getting to the good stuff. <laughs> in America, you know, um, in order to say that you're organic, that it's it's a legal term. And so you can't claim you're organic. And so I don't have any farmers, unless you go through this whole process, and it's a whole certification process, and there are many farmers that can grow with organic practices, no spray, low spray, whatever, um, using, using chem not chemicals, but organics, you know. But I think the misconception, too, for people, buying organic is your stuff is not sprayed. Um, but who's to say that the, and this is a whole nother argument, <laughs> who's to say that the, the organic chemical that kills the stomach of that bug, what, what is it doing to your stomach? And so, you know, I tend to try to go for no spray, um, rather than even an organic spray that's killing the stomach of the bug. But, you know, sometimes do you want the, do you want a vegetable or not? So it's, you know, and how much are you willing to pay for someone to pick all the bugs off the vegetable? So we uh, allow all the farmers with all the different practices, and we allow the consumer to decide. We have a lot of farmers that do a low spray or no spray practice. It's very, used very judiciously. 
possibly when the fruit's not set on, it's not there. It would still maybe be in the leaf, possibly, but it's not spraying directly onto your green beans, let's say. I My best suggestion is for you to, to always be talking to your farmer about how it was produced and for you to match your needs with that farmer. So our farmers can label things, no spray, we don't use pesticides, that thing. But until any of them get that organic certification, can they even say organic? You know, they can say we feed them organic feed or we use organic practices, but they can't say that it's all organic. Mm-hmm. So it's it's become a challenge. I I don't uh, I don't want to answer the question myself. I, I I don't have an answer to the question. I think it's very very difficult. I think uh, I don't know. I, I was I was doing an interview with a winemaker, a Muscadet winemaker. I think you might have listened to mm-hmm. to that episode as well. And and he he started his business um, with his wife, and uh, his son has now taken over. And, and what's really important to his son is that they make an organic wine. And so they they really um, use the moon cycles yeah. and they use the earth and they I mean sort of they really make a concerted effort to not use any pesticides yeah. on grapes. And if you've ever I mean my fa- my grandfather had a vineyard, so if you've ever had a vineyard or know anything about it, it's, it's, it's difficult not it's to use very anything. Hard. You know, and that goes into the whole time. Um, and really, to be organic, you have to have time to research and to know all the practices. Mm. And so that's why communities, I know of certain farmers that are part of our farmer's market that are involved in communities that mm. help teach them those practices. Mm. And every year they're telling me something new and different that they've learned. And it's again passing on mm-hmm. from generation to generation. Passing it on generation to generation. But, you know, even... The farmers that I'm thinking about, um, it's Hedgewood Farms, they bring people on staff that are really interested in this and that help them carry it through and carry Mm -hmm. it on. And the way that they they treat their animals and the way that they move their animals every two to three days, and they use solar power to to have kind of their electrical fences, but they move them through all their properties. So at certain times when it's hot, those cows are in the shade, you know, And, and so they're able to to make it more relaxing for um, their wildlife that they have Mm. there on the farm. Mm. It's just, I think it's so important, and that's why I think farmer's markets are so unique, because in ours especially, you can talk to the person that grew it. You can ask them questions, understand it, and just like this butternut squash that I have here, you know. Yeah, I I got it for for the listeners. I got a butternut squash that was grown right here by a... Lady from Laos, who who, yeah. who brought the seeds from Laos. Laos or Thailand? She was a refugee during. I'm holding this butternut squash. It's beautiful. Right I'm after, going to make it in the. I think I'm going to roast it in the oven. So, yes. <laughs> right after, um, well, during the Vietnam War conflict, uh, they were refugees. Her and her family brought her daughters over here, and um, I think some one more boy was born in one country and one in another. So that's why I I hate to, I hesitate to say which oh, one. But um, so her daughter was telling me that the seeds, uh, she brought the seeds from there and that the, it's like the sweetest thing that you'll eat in comparison to like a butternut, a, like original butternut squash. So she's very proud to have brought those seeds and to still keep them going. I mean, this is a good 20 to, well, no, it's 30 to 40 years. 
So, so, so let's talk about that, uh, sort of your new routes for refugees program. And um, I know that you have several countries represented at the farmer's market, mm -hmm. uh, Congo, Laos, India, Burma, uh, mm -hmm. and the list goes on. So let's go into that as well as a form of integration as well and the form of, of integrating both the community into their lives and them into the community. Yeah, so um, New Roots for Refugees is a program actually run through an organization, Cultivate KC and Catholic Charities, help support it. Um, and they provide and they provide all this teaching to refugees on how to farm. And then they bring them to the market and they help them set up their first market and they help them through that first year. And it's a four-year program. And our um, we have two vendors right now well no one that one that just graduated last year and he sold our market and then we have one that's going into his fourth year in 2022 um that have participated in this program and it's just phenomenal because they teach them english they teach them how how to do taxes how to set up a business how to have a checking account all those things that when you have to relocate to a new country like it's just overwhelming as we think about, I mean, see, there's refugees that there's conflict in our world all the time. And so, um, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see if we have Afghanistan refugees in, in the coming years. Um, but um, right now we have Ibrahim from, from Congo and um, Motu from Burma. And they, people just love their vegetables. They also, um, you know, Motu brings vegetables from his homeland and Ibrahim brings vegetables from his homeland as well. And they are able to share recipes and just introduce people to new foods that um, they didn't know that were possible. And we try to incorporate some of those recipes and different things. But C, who, um, who, who grew that, squash there she um she didn't participate in that program but um she has a lot of her family and daughters really wanted her to to be able to farm and she is so happy um at the market but also she loves to be in her in her on her farm and gardening and working hard and um she's an absolutely amazing woman um and her her daughters are are very sweet and dear too so, and then more recently, we have a vendor that started with us a few weeks before the end of the market. And he's not a refugee, but he's an immigrant from India. And so he um, has started a chutney business and sharing the flavors of India with um, Lenexa. So um, it's a little bit different sauce than what maybe we're, we're used to and um, really kind of fun to be exposed to that, um, all the flavors that are available. Wonderful. Really, really wonderful. I, I, I absolutely support you and in, in, in all this and, and and can only applaud. And like I said, everything I've heard is, is more than positive. So Well, food is love. And I think food is love all, all across the land. Um, you know, I truly believe that um, that is when we feel whole, is when we have a full stomach and we're <laughs> around great people, you know. And if you're anything like my family, especially going back to my great-grandmother, you're sitting there and you're finished with one meal and they're saying, well, what are we having for dinner? And I mean, we just finished one meal, but um, food was just the central of our lives. And it, it still is for me because I love to cook and, 
and share that with people. But it is, isn't it? I mean, let me let's 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 end it with that. But let me go back to just one question. Um, one topic that we have not really addressed is um, we talked a lot about vegetable gardens and and fruits and vegetables and plants. We haven't talked that much about animals mm-hmm. and. Um, I know there have been a lot of vegan and vegetarian mm-hmm. movements as well. How do you feel about that? And how do you feel about the treatment of animals and, and, and us consuming animals? And and before you answer that, just um, I know you listened to the episode with Sebastian Junge, and, um, and I don't remember if he said it in the German episode or in the in the English one, but I think it was in the English one. He he talks about how, for example, for his restaurant, and to they, they take it this seriously. Um, if they want to incorporate pork into their into their menu they plan ahead they plan eight nine months ahead and there is a pig that is raised for them by a farmer so they order a pig and say well we'd like to buy this pig in six months from you and so there's this direct connection and then this pig is they can go and visit it they can go and visit it this pig is bought it's it's bought it is used from head to toe Mm -hmm. it is used the hooves are used the the ears are used the skin is used the blood is used it's you know they make sausage they make they make Mm -hmm. they 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 really um respect the animal by absolutely consuming every single part of this Mm -hmm. uh living beings (laughs) a body so that's one of the things that um I, I mean just for the listeners who might care i mean we try to eat almost vegan um, because I think it is healthier to, to me and what, what I have read and, and, and learned. Um, but we do eat a lot of fish. Um, we do eat some chicken, some lamb, every, very little uh, uh, pork and beef, very, very little. Um, but one of the things that's super important to me is that, and I don't even really get in that much into sort of... Um, considering the animal that much mm-hmm. you know sort of sort of the connection with the animal yeah. but but to me it's just it's a it's a it's a respect thing it's a waste it's a it's a it's a it's a question of waste or not um i know that for example my parents are, come from uh, romania they are hungarians from romania and i still have I'm, we moved to texas when i was 12 um and i still have these uh memories of my mother bringing home a chicken mm-hmm. and she would slaughter i don't know if, you, if, if it's even the proper vocabulary mm-hmm. to slaughter a chicken but she would slaughter the chicken herself she would keep the feathers she would bleed the chicken out and make mm-hmm. these little patties out of the out of the blood she would use the the feet and the and the head to make a soup she really she she would uh strip the bones and she would use the bones to make another soup mm-hmm. or a stew so um to me that's the big factor i want to make sure that the animals were treated with respect and that we use you know sort of uh, in in recent years all these questions with cholesterol and sort of mm-hmm. we're throwing away the the skin I don't know. I mean, yes, I have problems with cholesterol, and I don't. Skin is so good. Well, yes, and and sort of, and then, but then we use other oils and other Mm -hmm. other fats and things. So, so, so to me, it's like this: this using the entire Mm -hmm. animal is important. And and just, I have to mention one story that I saw. I think I was on Facebook, and it was some guy who was um, uh, fooling his family that the turkey had given birth to a mini chicken 
and then they laugh and ha ha ha, and then they sort of put the chicken down the dispo the disposer. And I just I remember just being appalled by that. But so so things like that, waste like that I find I find not acceptable. So but let me let you answer. You know, um so I would say that our we have two two farmers that are meat farmers. And with the meat crisis that we fell into with COVID, um I remember speaking to these farmers as um the processing the beef processing plants were getting shut down and and the pork processing plants then. And unfortunately, our system is set up to only take a pig that's, let's say, 500 pounds instead of 550 pounds. And so all those, all of it was going to waste. And I had farmers that were crying. And farmers that, that, that take animals to slaughter that were crying because they did not understand the disrespect and the, um, uh, I guess commercialization of for profit all of this meat and to a certain extent we have we have to feed people um but it's it's really um I do I've been to their farms um and being on their farms and seeing seeing the animals seeing the love of the animals seeing the tear from the farmer when um you know they they have a, a because they can get infections and things like that, and um, they do what they can to take care of the animal. But if they lose an animal, it's heartbreaking for them. And um, it's not the money, it's the animal. So, And I would say even you can see the head-to-toe, what you're talking about, when you look at all of the availabilities of cuts of meat, the heart, the liver, um, you know, you, you can get tongue. pretty tongue. Yeah, and um, it's... You know, we have certain certain customers that come specifically for certain parts to boil and give to their their dog. You know, I mean, it's getting fed to, you know, to to, to something, um, not not going to waste. But um, yeah, I I definitely feel that that the farmers market definitely does that, and and it has more of kind of that sanctity for life, um, even if you're choosing. Um, to to eat a meat product, um, it, it's it's I think a better choice, and all of um, I know specifically Jet Produce and Meats. You can walk onto their farm any day of the week. Um, they have a farm store right there on their um, property, but they welcome people. You know, and I always question. You know, my other farmer Hedgewood. Theirs is a little bit more difficult to get to, and they're not on the main road that Chad is on. So um, it is harder to get to them. But I know that if you ask Marla or Brian if, if, you want to, if you really want to come with them, they'd be like, sure, let's show you around. I mean, they're so proud of their operation. Well, and I might so, take you up on that. My kids love that. So. Oh, yeah. They're, <laughs> they're really great, great people, um, both of them. Um, and it, it's just it's really nice um, to have people that have an open book. When I went to Jet, I went there. Uh, I went there, and I was like, "Oh, I want to go take a picture of something." And he goes, "You can walk anywhere on this farm that you want to. I have nothing to hide." And he was serious about it because that's the way he runs his operation. Because he wants to be an open book, because he has to have the trust of the consumer. Mm-hmm. So. 
So we, we corresponded a little bit uh, via email before doing the interview. And one of the things that you said was that you believe food can connect us across the world. And I, I had written something like to that effect to you as well. So I have I have attended speeches and lectures on how food can connect. And I'm, I'm thinking of one particular one where they talked about how Palestinian and Israeli cuisine is so similar and showing people the similarities in the way they live and the way they eat. And so hoping to break down stigmas, break down uh, misconceptions, break down animosities and things like that. Let's talk about that for a second. What is the power of food and, and where does it come from and, and how can we use it in today's day and age? With that, I told you before we, we got onto the podcast that, that it's not a political podcast in any way. It is a podcast that tries to uni- unite at, at all times. So how can we use food to unite? Yeah, I um, I think that beyond just crossing in between the world, it also ca- crosses generations. I'm sure you have a recipe that your mother makes, that her grandmother makes, and that her grandmother made. The th- thing that comes to mind that we kind of we laugh about in my family is we have a recipe called rubber potatoes. and Robert's potatoes? Rubber potatoes. Rubber potatoes, okay. So it is basically spatzel or like a dumpling, a really chewy dumpling with potatoes that are fried. That's all it is. And it's probably another named another dish in Germany. So you're German. Um, it's basically gnocchi. It's like gnocchi, but it doesn't have, no, it doesn't, the potato and the dumpling aren't mixed. It's potatoes that are fried and dumplings that are fried. Oh. So you boil the dumplings and you put it all together and you fry it all together. And then you put sour cream over the top. And oh, so it's potatoes and dumplings. And then it's all fried together. So <laughs> my grandma, same grandmother, would, like, we would make this as, like, a family delicacy. And she would sit in the kitchen and just, like, oh, my gosh, guys, this is what we had to eat when we had nothing. And But this is such a delicacy to you. So um, I think it teaches history and that, Something that, because you have, when you make that meal, it's a lot of work and it's made with love, especially when you're feeding like 30 people in our family to make that amount of dumplings. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a lot <laughs> of dumplings. So, um, but yeah, I, I think that, you know, I love to share food with people and share where it came from because you can tell a story with it. And I think the story is important. Um, but like you said, people don't realize um, that all of a lot of things are very similar when you start start looking at all these recipes, and it's just an adaptation after an adaptation after an adaptation. Well, you know, for example, like a, a rice dish. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of people say, "Oh, paella is so is so uh, Im- so special Spanish. and so difficult to make." And but every culture that I know has it. Hungarians have the lecho, you know, sort of. Uh, it, it's like everybody has uh-huh. some sort of a rice dish. Everybody has some jambalaya sort of a, jambalaya. Everybody has some sort of a you know guyash. Everybody yeah. has some sort of stewy, uh, you know, uh, meal. Everybody has. You take the ham pie too, like so. You have the beer rack. You have the egg roll. You have dumplings. You have the things that that typically. Um, the men would leave the house with and be able to eat during lunchtime. But if you look at every culture, there is a hand pie for every culture. It's I mean, the sandwich is, is kind of in America, but when you look around, even at all, all the multiculturalism that we have in America, 
We get a lot of delicious hamburgers. But right? all these wraps or all these crepes yes. or pancakes. It's like yeah. different twists on it, but but it's the same thing. Or if you look at this basic chicken dish, um, you, you look in African cultures, there are a mm -hmm. lot of different ones. And so you, you're adding different spices and different things, but it's like this chicken cooked without without water with vegetables and things so it's it, i think there but are with the so spices many, with the spices like yeah so i think there are so many exactly what you're saying it's like uh, similarities and differences at the same time so like enjoying our differences but but uniting through the similarities possibly so well and i will say you know with the the community garden i actually have some some people that came here as refugees as well and some people from just that immigrated here from different cultures, and we have a potluck at the end of every year. And it is amazing, especially when they bring their samosa, samosas. And I know that to bring that to a potluck took a lot of work for them sure. to make. Yeah. And I'm always so grateful to get to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. um, I've been able to go to a potluck for the New Roots for Refugees, and uh, literally everything on my plate, I would not know how to cook it, but it was delicious. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think that, and it's really interesting at New Roots Refugees potlucks is is to see them even from culture to culture interacting and trying to figure things out. And, you know, I, I, I we're really, I think, lucky in America because there's so much. It's just kind of a melting pot. Um, and, you know, the unhealthiness that, that we, we experience, some, you know, I think that we're known for, in quotes, uh, I think also comes from the fact that we have the opportunity to try so many different things and have, you know, if you drive down 87th Street, you'll, you'll run into probably five or six cultures from around the world that you could dine on for the whole week um, and have an absolutely amazing meal. And it's cooked by someone that was from that country. Um, so I, we have a lot to dine on versus when you said you, you go to Kentucky Fried Chicken and this and that and this and that. Um, if you know where to look, it's there. And I think in, in Kansas City, it's there really oh, yeah, strongly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, my, my dad took us to a Mexican restaurant. Um, oh, tiny, 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 tiny. Um, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't I don't know where we were. But it's near Leewood, um, and it's a family Is it Torreon's? No, it's something like Dos Oros. Okay. Um, um, and it's um, tiny, and it's authentic, and it's and it's... Oh, I loved it. I loved it. And I mean, it's, oh. so, so absolutely, and the barbecues and everything. But where do you, I'm glad you kind of addressed this so that I'm not the one sort of <laughs> bringing this up. But let, let's just say it, okay? So the U.S. has kind of a bad reputation when it comes to food. And that's why also I told you on the phone, that, that's why it was so important to me. I wanted to do a, a unit or an episode mm -hmm. on food. Um, and I wanted to speak to someone from a farmer's market. I wanted to speak mm -hmm. to you about this because I think there is the availability of good food, the availability of authentic cuisine, uh, the, the availability of various national cuisines is there. There is also a very rich American cuisine um, beside hot dogs and hamburgers. Oh, yeah. there you are were talking about how much you liked hot dogs and you ate it for days because you hadn't had, you only had it at New Year's right. in one of your podcasts. Right. And I was like, what? Like, yeah, that was shocking to me. Right, right. And so... so um, why does the U.S. have, in your opinion, a bad reputation? And actually, I'm embarrassed for saying that I miss Taco Bell and Kentucky Fried Chicken and all that. But that's just because that's just not available. So it's just kind of something that I miss. But why would I sort of, you know, sort of reflecting on, on my own thinking, why would I even 
in my mind equate that to American culture? You know, because is it or is it? So, so maybe you could just kind of <laughs> address oh, that at least, sort of, you know, one. because like, I, you know, sort of for me, I don't, I don't know if I'm American or European or you, what am I? I anyway, I'm very, very a blend because you've been away for. I've been living in so many different places, and yeah. it's sort of so. So for someone who's actually really but anchored you, in this community, so you you went to school here, you went to grade school here, and you had a, a lunch. Did you have a school lunch or did your mom send well, you a lunch? Well, my parents were adamant about sending me with a little okay. brown bag. And I was the, you know, the dork who had to have the, the school lunch. Back back then, there was such a stigma. with for, for I know the kids are going to school here. And they said that some kids get it at school. And by the way, the school lunches now are so magnificent. Mm-hmm. And there's this federal program where the kids have to get a dairy product and a yeah, vegetable. Right. And it's just, I mean, they love the food. And it seems all very healthy and very uh, balanced and you know sort of with a lot of prepared with a lot of attention to nutrition etc um i can't say that i remember it being like that um see from, i feel like from it was high that school. way when i was in grade school like okay I had lunch ladies that made fresh yeah. rolls every single day you walk in and you smell the rolls oh so great. i don't know um you know i think school lunch is maybe hit and miss depending on the district uh, maybe state as well with funding state and um, and how they're putting that putting their money towards that and it's been challenging in the last couple of years with COVID and they've made all of the lunches free um, for all American children and um, which is probably hopefully it's helping a lot with with a lot of the hunger issues that are that are in America. Um, which is, you know, it's maybe difficult. I don't know what the hunger issues are in Europe. But um, I, so I think with the healthy food options, I think, or are we unhealthy? I think it really comes down to we have so many options to make, we have so many options to make unhealthy choices. Mm. And I struggle myself with that. And and to make the right choice to choose vegetables over my tortilla chips that I want to have when I get home. I'm going to, I choose the easy route way too much. You know, I learned from my husband. My husband didn't tell me his trick until a few weeks ago that he takes broccoli every day. And he eats probably three heads of broccoli every week. He's an amazing broccoli eater. He should win an award. But he said, I eat it on my way home. So when I get home, I'm not hungry. Well, that's one of the things. I mean, it's sort of this, this when you're just starving, you just like, you know, shovel food into your mouth. And that's that's not healthy or good or anything. Yeah, so, yeah. and he eats, he, he only eats aimlessly if it's a vegetable, if that makes sense. Mm. So, yeah, you're driving home. You're kind of stressed. That's not when you should put chips or french fries in, but mo- that's what most people stop for is a soda, french fries, because it's always available. There are some McDonald's on every corner, it feels like, um, you know, and like you said, when you travel, um, it's easiest to eat healthy or the fast food because you know, you at least know what you're getting mm-hmm. and um, that you can get a full for the time being. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're lucky today, though, to have... Um, in Kansas City, we have a really great group on Facebook, um, Kansas City Food, Kansas City Forum for Eats or something. That's what it's called. And there's like at least over forty thousand people that participate, and they just talk about positive um, comments about restaurants in the area. And so, you, if you're not on that, you need to be on it. So then you can kind of see what's going on in the restaurant world in, in Kansas City. 
And then there's also a forum eats for around the country for Kansas Cityans for when they're traveling. So you can put the question out there. I'm traveling to Minnesota, to Minneapolis. Where should I make sure I go to? So um, social media has allowed for us to actually find things that we didn't know existed before. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that one thing that's possibly a little bit different, um, I'm always a little bit surprised how, how much more we cook in Europe, sort of how much how, mu- how much more of the meals we cook actually ourselves. Uh, and I mean from scratch. I don't mean sort of half-cooked or something like that. And so that always surprises me how much Americans eat out. Um, yeah. And I think this is a time issue again and a, and a, and a work. Time and it was also an education issue. You know, yeah. in the 1980s and 90s, that was when a lot of women started going back to work and they didn't have the time to teach their kids maybe how to cook. They yeah. were... It was a time issue then, but um, I know people that the most that they know how to do is make macaroni and cheese, boil the noodles, and that's about it because they weren't taught. And just like gardening is taught, cooking is taught. And And that needs to be taught more. It it needs to be taught more in the home. But, you know, that was one thing that came out of COVID was people had to learn. Mm -hmm. And so many people were learning, and it was pretty hilarious watching people learn and make their mistakes. But... Um, you know, they were doing what my family does almost every night is I, I, we go home. My husband's probably cooking, getting stir fry stuff ready tonight for dinner. Cause I make a list of the menu items we're having. Everybody gets their input and that's what we're eating. I mean, we have I, one night a week that we kind of leave open, but it might just be left overnight. I mean, I cook, um, and I say this, I mean, I cook three meals a day because if we're not, unless it's a school night, a school day, because there I, they get cereal in the morning. <laughs> but really, and even there I make um, hot cereal, mm-hmm. which is porridge, so, yeah. so oatmeal. Um, but yeah, I mean, we always have a home-cooked lunch and we always have a home-cooked dinner. Um, so that's super important to me. Um, but, you know, I... I was just always a really skinny kid, and I was always kind of healthy and skinny. And then I had cancer. Mm. It's all good. Um, and then I also started having problems with cholesterol. And then I sort of started, you know, noticing that I couldn't, I mean, before I could just eat anything and not get any weight. And I started noticing, like, oh, no, I, I can't just eat anything. And so one of the things that I do, you know, sort of when you're when you're sitting there with your husband and you're watching your TV show at night or, or you're watching Netflix or watching some movie mm-hmm. or something or just talking or whatever – the chips and the and the sort of the the junk Save that you stuff, yeah. right and it's like this this kind of I mean we're going to psychology now but but like this just like oral stimulation and you're just kind of you know it's just kind of this this um, equating this moment to something pleasing and so one of the things that I do is that I really spend 20, 30 minutes with my husband. I mean, he doesn't actually always eat it, but I make it so delicious that he like sort of ends up eating some of it. Um, he'll have some chips next to it. <laughs> but I always sit there and I make a platter of grated carrots and sort of just sliced. Like uh, a crudite um, platter. Like a crudite, yeah. Mm. And so, so yeah, olives and sort of, exactly, exactly. No, 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 exactly. And just, you know, um, tomatoes and cucumbers and radishes. And I just sort if of just. If you put it out there, you actually. Right, it, but, right? But, I, but it takes these 30 minutes to, to actually make it. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I just put a tiny bit of salt, tiny bit of pepper, a tiny bit of oil, you know, so sort of just, just a tiny bit. And then I, I try to have just that. Um, with maybe a chip or maybe a, you know, sort of like a little piece of cracker or a piece of bread or something like that. Um, I try to eat um, 
my mother in, in, in Hungarian culture you have baba ganoush you know but yeah, they, they, yeah, call, they call it well they call it vinetta but it's the yeah. same thing basically um, yeah, instead of eating it on bread I try to put it on vegetables yeah. and eat it like that a nice carrot that's so, like a carrot exactly so so there are these things but but it is um, I think it's really true what you're saying it's an education it's a thing that we pass on to our children and, and through the practices that we have in the home. Um, maybe just one more example, if I, if I may, where it was, it was amazing to talk to yeah. you. Um, you know, desserts for my children, I've always said, I've always been really excited about fruit and I've always made them really excited about fruit. Mm -hmm. So when it was dessert time, I took out the papaya or the mango or the apples or the strawberries or the different berries or whatever, uh, or the, you know, the, the sweet is, squash yeah. or the sweet, sweet potatoes. Um, and so it's also those things, you know, sort of, or is mom getting excited about ice cream or the cake, which we have as well, but just, you know, or, or are we also just really excited about some of the, some of the fruits as well? So. Yeah. I mean, I, with my kids, I noticed that if I make sure that everything's washed and it's put on the top shelf or in the front of the refrigerator, they'll make that option way more often than than not and anytime I offer would you like an apple my daughter always says yes she loves apples um so it's uh it just it's tough but you know building those habits and I I have I have a conversation I have a 15 year old I have a conversation that you have to start making choices now so it's easier when you're my age because I don't want you to have the struggles of trying to go back and you have to build your food diversity um, now because you'll be so much more healthier for it. It's a lot of work to stay healthy. Absolutely. So your last remarks in closing. Well, you know, I think that, that we are, it's so nice to learn about some of the, the very similarities in Europe and probably other parts of the world. Um, and food is, food is so, so important to us each and every person, but I think it's so much more important to be shared and sharing it at the community garden, sharing it at the farmer's market, or just taking some of your excess and sharing it with your neighbor um, is always um, an act of love. It'll always usually be appreciated as long as you have a good relationship with your neighbor, but sometimes it's an opening to a door and sometimes it's the best way to get, get that conversation going. So share food with someone. Jennifer Doty, thank you so much for You're participating welcome. in this episode. You're welcome. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> and thank you all for listening. This is Dr. J signing out. <laughs>